ready.
Remember, we talked about that way. That's the way, the truth, and the life. It goes on, For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines to Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation, and said, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone in Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, seeing that they be no gods which are made with hands. So not only this, our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that of the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised. And her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. And when they heard these things, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius, and remember that name? Brother Travis from this morning? Brother, uh, excuse me. They caught Gaius and Aristarchus. How do you say that? Does anybody know? Aristarchus? Aristarchus? Let's go with that. Men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel. So they were with Paul. They rushed with one accord into the theater, and when Paul would have entered into unto the people, the disciples suffered him not. And certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Some, therefore, cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused. And the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander beckoned with one hand, with the hand, and would have made his defense unto the people. But when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice, about the space of two hours, cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, Ye men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not? how that the city of the Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Jupiter. Seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, ye ought to be quiet and to do nothing rashly. For ye have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers of churches, nor ye blasphemers of your goddess. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against any man, the law is open, and there are deputies. Let them implead one another. But if ye inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. For we are in danger to be called into question for this day's uproar, there being no cause whereby we may have, may give an account of this concourse. And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. Amen. Well, there's a lot going on here to finish up this chapter, and I uh, hope that I can make sense of it. Alright. First of all, Paul's going around preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's doing exactly what Jesus told him to do. He's doing exactly what Jesus told the, the disciples to do. Go out and preach to every creature. And so he's doing it. He's on his third mission trip here. He's, he's already made some, some treks around Asia and Rome and all this. And he's going around. And it says here in the scripture that not only are they hearing in Ephesus from Paul, but all over Asia, the whole region is hearing this message because Paul's preaching it to certain people here, and guess what? These certain people that believe it are going out and they're preaching it. The same thing that we should be doing today. But all these people are hearing it. And then there's this man named Demetrius. 
Demetrius isn't happy. I'm going to tell you, why do you think, I'm, I'm, this is a hypothetical question, you don't have to answer it, okay? Why do you think Demetrius is upset? Hey, he's taking his money. That's right. Notice, Demetrius himself isn't trying to confess Diana as being the great Diana. He's not bowing down to Diana. He's bowing down to the almighty dollar because he's getting revenue coming from the purchase of the idols that he's making. Boy, doesn't that sound familiar? We have a lot of people today that are against the church, not because they don't believe what we're preaching, but it cuts in to their revenue. It cuts into the profit margin. And if it cuts into the profit margin, it can't be good for them. So they're against the church. They're against the preacher man. Look, I got some good friends that own uh, businesses. Uh, some I grew up with. And they own some establishments that they would not probably partake too kindly of me going in and preaching the word of God inside their establishment. Because, for one, it would probably start, start such an uproar that it would be a fight. And I don't want that. But on the other hand, it actually might lead some people to leave the establishment. And that would cut into the revenue. I'm not saying that that would be the case, and I'm not sure if this individual I'm speaking of would really care too much because he loves me. I know he does, and I love him. Just wish he didn't do what he does. Anyhow, getting back to the message, we've got a problem here that Demetrius brought up, and he brings it up to the other silversmiths, the other people of the craft, because he's like, hey, um, we're going to lose money on this. This Paul character here, he comes preaching Jesus. And, and, you know, it was no big deal when he was just preaching here, but all of a sudden, all of Asia is hearing this. And, you know, Ephesus is like the hub where everybody comes to do business. And we've got this gigantic, humongous temple of, of Diana here, which, by the way, and I'm just going to try to put this in perspective, the Parthenon of Athens, y'all know how big that is? Y'all ever see pictures of the Parthenon? The temple of Diana was four times the size of the Parthenon of Athens. This is how big this is. There's, there's, there's remnants of it today. This is how big this thing was. It's how big the idolatry was. But they worshipped Diana. They had this temple of Diana. And that's, by the way, when they're talking about um, that they didn't uh, blast them against the, 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 the church. or anything. They're talking about that temple. They're not talking about the church of God. They're talking about he didn't go against the temple of, uh, of Diana, which, by the way, he did by virtue of preaching the gospel. But we're going to get to that point. Demetrius is making these little tricks. These little tricks. He's making idols. And he's selling these idols. And he explains, hey, we, we, we're making our money. And Paul's cutting in our profits because these people are starting to believe that Diana's a hoax. And that the true God is Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. And they're turning from this. So they're not buying these trinkets that we're selling, that we're making. This is how we earn our money. You know, if it was me... And I was Demetrius, and I heard about this Lord Jesus that everybody's turning to, and I'm making these trinkets of, of Diana. I might want to go to see what all the fuss is about and go see for myself and learn from Paul about the Lord Jesus Christ. And once I've done that, if I was Demetrius, I might start making something else to make money and not make the idols for Diana. But he wasn't interested in that. He was interested in the almighty dollar. He wasn't like the people that we talked about this morning that took their belongings, their trinkets, their books, and burn them. He wasn't like that. 
He was the opposite of those people. So what does he do? He does the same thing that's been going on in 2020. He causes an uproar. Let's cause an uproar. Let's get the people stirred up on one side against the other because we're losing something. We're not getting our way, so let's stir it up. So that's what he does. He stirs up the people. I want to take your mind, again, back to the temple of Diana for a second. It's the great pagan temple. I told you it's, it's four times the size of the, the Parthenon of Athens, but it's also it was also the bank of the day. I did a little bit of research on this. It was the, the bank of the day for the people. They would come and exchange things. They would mingle around the, uh, the temple, and they would um, do their business around the temple. People made money around the temple. And it's also the center of sin. The temple was one of the seven uh, ancient wonders, uh, or wonders of the ancient world. And like I said, people from all over came to see this colossal structure that came to learn about Diana. I don't know if you know anything about Diana. Diana was the Greek, uh, the Greeks called her Artemis. Diana is Latin for the word Artemis. She's the goddess of the moon, of the moon, and the patroness of virginity and hunting. Diana. Some accounts say that she was a hideous looking woman. <laughs> Therefore, I assume that the idols that they made were hideous looking silversmith idols as well. They're atrocious in appearance. That's right. I'm going to tell you this they were most certainly spiritually atrocious to believers in Christ because they were idols. The Hebrew people that were present, they may not even know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It was probably. Uh, well, I know, it, it must have turned their stomachs too to see the idolatry, but they intermingled with them. Now, one more reason for Paul to be present and to preach against them. And again, the Bible says he's persuading people away from Diana. The Bible says Paul is persuading. And I want to emphasize this. Earlier today we talked about how he was disputing and persuading. And then here in the latter part, he is persuading the people. I cannot emphasize this enough. But your job and my job as followers of Christ, as disciples of Jesus, are to persuade people to the Lord. That's our job. That's our number one job. And like Paul did when he came earlier today, when we were talking about early on, he came to those people that were, they were preaching, but they weren't preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't bash them. He didn't do an elbow drop off the top turnbuckle. He didn't try to try to beat them to death. He listened to what they had to say and then asked certain questions. Hey, what, what about the Holy, Holy Spirit? Did y'all receive that? Did y'all receive Him? Did y'all receive the Holy Spirit? Well, we don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, that's the same approach we need to take. When you're talking to somebody, I know it seems kind of awkward when you're at a gathering or you, you show up to a family reunion or you're, you're invited to a, a, a get-together, a social or something. And you're sitting around a table, and people are just talking and talking and talking. Sometimes the only thing you can do is, hey, do you know Jesus? Because it's not really, it's not really a, a segue into it. Sometimes you just got to ask, do you know Jesus? But sometimes, and I've actually used this, you can hear in their talk, the conversation, whether they believe or not. And I wait for an opportunity a lot of times for somebody to say something. A lot of times they'll take the Lord's name in vain, thinking they're not taking the Lord's name in vain. And that's when I'll interject. Do you know what you're doing? 
And then you can introduce the gospel to them. You can introduce Jesus Christ to them. And like we said this morning, it's up to them to receive it. And I can smile. I can tell you in truth and love. But my job and your job is to make sure that they know. They know about Jesus Christ. Again, you're going to have people that push back like Demetrius. Some people don't want to hear it because it cuts into not just their pocketbook or what they're doing or what they're selling, but it cuts into their lifestyle. You know, like I said this morning, and I'm going to harp on it because I think this is the biggest deal for people that do not profess Christ as Lord and Savior. Non-believers, and I'm going to, I'm going to kind of bite my tongue on that term, non-believers, because I honestly believe that people that say they don't believe, I believe they believe. They just don't want to commit. And the reason they don't want to commit is because they're afraid of change. I've got to be this different person. I've got to be, I've got to be holier than now. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Let me tell you something. Um, don't worry about that. I, myself, um, and I told you I did a lot of damage to the church before because I would walk around professing Christ and then walk as the world walked. There was no difference in me and the world. So that hurt the body of Christ, and it hurt would-be believers because they would see there's no difference between you and me, so I don't really have to do anything. We've got churches today that preach the same thing. I just love you. I love you. God loves you. It's okay. It's all right. You don't have to do anything. Let me tell you something. I asked a question this morning. It was the first part of my sermon. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Do ye have the Holy Spirit? That's what Paul asked the people he's preaching to. Do you have it? Do you have him? Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you have the Holy Spirit, he changes you. You must come to him with belief in your heart. Belief is its a small word, but it's a powerful word. It means that you absolutely, wholeheartedly, without a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt, know that Jesus Christ is the Lord, that he is the Son of God, that he died for your sins and for our sins and for the whole world's sins. You must believe that. And if you believe that, and you say, Lord, forgive me for what I've done. I repent. I'm not doing this anymore. Please save me. You know what he's going to do? He's going to save you. He's going to come into your heart because he knows that you're sincere. And he's going to do the changing. He's going to do the changing. Because you want the change. You desire the change. The way you were living was no good. It was on the road to death. That's what Paul's preaching to the Ephesians. You're on the road to death and destruction. There, there's two places that we go. And everybody says, well, I'm going to live forever. Yeah, you're going to live forever. You're either going to live forever with God in heaven and the glory of Jesus Christ, or you're going to be in the lake of fire. People don't know about lake of fire. They didn't get that far in the Bible. They just got to the hell and they're like, well, I don't believe that. Let me tell you a little secret. It's not a big secret. It's probably a well-known secret. Everybody knows it. Whether you believe something or not is irrelevant. The truth is the truth. And you're going to sit there and say, I don't believe that there's a hell. Well, when you die, you're going to believe that there's a hell. So I emphasize it, and I try not to scare people. I try not to beat people over the head with it. And generally speaking, I don't use that kind of language when I'm talking to somebody unless you get a wisecracker. Somebody who wants to come back and, and be smart mouth and, 
and be jovial about the book, about the Holy Bible, when you get somebody who wants to be a smart aleck and say something negative about God's Holy Word, that's when you get down to the nitty-gritty, the brass tacks, if you will. Because everybody else, I've been in groups where people are trying to listen, and you got the jerk who is trying to cut you off. I've been in groups before where when I was a younger man, a young boy, a young teenager, going to concert, and somebody's trying to give me a track because they're doing what, what Paul was doing. They're doing what God has put on their heart, and they're at this concert parking lot trying to give you a track so that you'll see the Lord before you go into that concert. And I got people snatching the, the, the tracks out of these people's hands and lighting them on fire. Because they don't want to lose their friend. They, they don't believe, but they don't want you to believe. Misery loves company. They want you to go to hell with them because they know that, that God is for real. And they know that Jesus Christ is real. And they know the Holy Spirit is real. And they know that once you've asked for forgiveness... It happens like that. And they know that he will no longer be walking with them. So they want to cut that out. Oh, Demetrius here wants to cut that out. Demetrius don't like the fact that Paul, he said that he is persuading not just the people in Ephesus, but all of Asia. They're listening to his message. And it's cutting into us, and we can't have that. And what happens? He starts his ruckus. We've got this uproar in Ephesus, and people are shouting, are shouting, you know, great is Diana. Great is Diana. And you've got people that are trying to, the disciples are trying to get in there and quell it and, and, and lash back and say, you know, Jesus is the way. They're trying to preach. They held Paul back because they know Paul is powerful. He's going to go in there and preach the word even unto death. So the disciples are like, no, we can't let you go in there. They're going to, they're going to maul you. We don't want that. We'll, we'll go. Let us do it. And what happens is you have this big ball of confusion. That's what the Bible says. Some therefore cried one thing, some another, for the assembly was confused. And that's what's going on in the world today. And I'm going to say this. People don't like to hear it. It's going on in the church today. It's going on in the body of Christ today. Some say this, some say that. And there's confusion going on in the church. And let me tell you right now, if there's confusion going on in the church, it's not of Christ. Because God is not the author of confusion. He's the author of the truth. You know, I was, me and Howard have talked about this before, and he actually preached on it a couple weeks ago, uh, or maybe a month ago, maybe a year or three, I don't know, it's been a while, I guess. But um, I was one of those that, that, that I, when I was younger, and even when I first started preaching, I had this great idea. Let's get all the churches in Crescent City together. Let's have a big party in, in, in the park and show the world how big the, the body of Christ is. And I even talked to some pastors, and they're like, well, that's a, that's a great idea, but it's not going to happen. And I talked to Howard, why don't people want to do this? And he said, well, I don't want to do it. Well, well why not? What's, what's the problem? Because not everybody who calls themselves Christians are Christians. Not everybody that says they say they believe, believe. I had a friend of mine this week, someone that, that I respect. I've known this person for quite a while. They put out a little meme on, on Facebook about how it is important. It's not important to worry about doctrine. It's, word, it's more important just to believe the Bible. 
Let me tell you something. If you believe the Bible, you believe in doctrine. Doctrine is in the Bible. That's where we get our doctrine. Doctrine's a fancy word for belief. But you get mad when I tell you this is the doctrine from the Bible. You get mad. I don't believe that. I don't believe it. Well, it's in the Bible. And that's why we can't all get together as one happy family because there are churches that never open the Bible. There are churches, we see them on TV, they'll put it up here. I'm going to stick this in. They'll put it up here just like that so that it's a nice show and tell item. And then they'll talk from their own book that they wrote. Or tell you in a motivational speech how you can be a better person by smiling a lot and hugging everybody and telling them that God loves them no matter what they do. And you know what? God loves you no matter what you do. But you come to Him with a repentant heart. And I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. You come to Him with a repentant heart. You come as you are, but you don't stay as you are. If you're still who you were before you came to Christ, there's no evidence that Christ has saved you. Saved you. And that's between you and God. But I'm telling you, it also tells me in the Bible, Jesus says that they will be known by their fruit. And he also tells us, I preached on this a couple weeks ago, he also tells us how to deal with the ones that trespass. Three ways. One-on-one, -on -one, in a small group, and if they don't listen to that, then that's the church. You deal with them. And, and people don't want to hear this. They like to talk about it, but they don't want to preach about it. They don't want to listen. They don't want to get into the meat of it. They want to still stay on that milk that Brother Travis was talking about this morning. Jesus says, if the hand offends, cut it off. He's not talking about your physical hand. He's talking about the hand of the body of Christ. He's talking about the body of Christ as a whole. If I have people walking around saying they are of Christ and they are of this church, this church, because that's who I'm responsible for. Travis talked about that also. There are people that God has given you an ultimate responsibility for and they're right here in this building. This is the body of Christ that we're concerned with because it's right, it's our local church. Now I'm concerned about everybody, yes. But this is who he's given a responsibility, a direct responsibility to me, to Brother Howard, to Larry, to Mom, to Roe, to Arthur, to everybody that's in here. We have a responsibility to one another. And he says that the hand offends, cut it off. What does he mean? If you've got one person who's acting separately than the rest of the body, that hand's just going off doing whatever it wants to do. It's over here, and the body's trying to operate the way God says to do. And this hand's over here with the devil. He's got his... He's got his hand in the devil's cookie jar. And you, you're like, hey, stop it, hand. And he's like, okay. And then you see him next week and he's doing it again. Then you bring the hand in the foot. Stop it, hand. That doesn't work. Then you, the whole body, hey, you're done, hand. You're gone. And if you're saved, if you're saved, you'll be convicted. And you'll won't back in. But if you're not, you'll just keep doing whatever that hand was doing. People don't want to talk about discipline. They don't want to talk about that. But there was confusion in Ephesus, just like there's confusion in our own church. Similar things happen today. I'm going to tell you right now, while we're on that topic, there's 4,200 different religions in the world. 4,200 different religions in the world. That's not all ordained by God. That's confusion. There's 15 Christian denominations in the world excluding, and I'm excluding Jehovah's Witnesses, Latter-day Saints, and the Oneness Pentecostals. The oneness Pentecostals. There's 15 Christian denominations, so-called Christian denominations, all of which telling their congregations different things doctrinally. 
God is not the author of confusion. James 3.16 says, For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14.33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. If there's one church saying that Jesus isn't the way, Hillsong, then it's not a church belonging to Christ. The only way not to get confused, and I'm going to emphasize this, I'm going to beat it to death, the only way not to get confused is to read the Bible for yourself. God has preserved His Word for a reason. For a reason. And I want to emphasize that too. You and I have something that the people of Ephesus don't have. They didn't have. They had Paul sent by God and and the disciples that Paul taught that's what they had. And they might have had a scroll or two. Or pieces of a scroll or two. Or a copy of somebody else's scroll. But they didn't have the King James Version Holy Bible that was, that was translated from the Textus Receptus. The approved text. The received text. They didn't have that. We do. And it should be a shame that if this thing sits in your house collecting dust and you never open it. Some people have multiple Bibles and don't open any of them. It's your job. God gave it to you. He preserved His Word for you to read. This is what He says. Psalm 12, 6 and 7 says this, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver, tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Listen to what He says. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them for this generation forever. He preserved His Word, not just for... For, for giggles. He preserved it so that you, his creation, would read it. And by such, you would become his children. And by becoming his children, you should want to grow. Brother Travis talked about it. It's a growing in Christ. How do you grow? i got to be in this book. You know, Jesus is the Word. And I've talked about this. It, I, it makes me smile knowing that when I'm spending time in the Bible, I'm spending time with Jesus. And He's talking to me. He's telling me what He wants me to know. Just like, just like, um, what book am I in? Acts, Acts 19. I didn't want to read it. Every time I read it, I'm like, I can't get anything. I don't know what to do, Lord. And I tried to read something else. And He'd bring me back to 19, Acts 19. He's like, I want you to read this. And then it reminded me, don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't worry about it. I'll put it together for you. Just do what I'm telling you to do. It reminded me of Paul. Just do what I'm telling you to do. And it reminds me of Jonah. Just do what I'm telling you to do. And it's not just for the person who puts on a tie or a blazer and comes up here and preaches. It's for all of us. If you read the Bible, you'll know the truth. You don't have to believe Richie. You don't have to believe Howard or Travis or, or Chris or anybody else that teaches it. You can believe God. I left the church one time. My wife left it before me. She's like, I'm not coming back here. And I'm like, well, I'm going because you know, I've got friends and I'm going to go here. And each week, the message gets got a little worse. And my stomach and my, my, my spirit was turning. 
and then things were said from the pulpit that were not biblical. You know where I went to find that? The Bible. I'm like, well, he said, and then I'm like, that's not right. That's not right. How do you know if what Richie's saying is right? How do you know what if Howard is saying is right? Do you just believe him because you love the pastor? And let me tell you something. There are people that go to this church because they love the pastor. I love the pastor. I love him like a father, like a brother. But I love the Lord. I love his word. And I love serving in a, in a church where I can trust that if somebody, if somebody doesn't agree with what I said, they'll go home and they'll study it. And if something I said was wrong, they'll come tell me it was wrong, and then we can get to the, to the nuts and bolts of the matter. Because you may be doing me a favor. Maybe I, maybe I misunderstood something. I mean, that's possible, isn't it, Ro? <laughs> it is possible. The truth shall set you free. That's why we read. The Ephesians didn't have the Scripture. They had Paul. And then they had confusion because uh, Demetrius set the world on fire. He stirred the people. He stirred the masses. And they had all this. But then we get to this, this part where uh, the politician comes to the rescue. And I'm fixing to finish. That's not going to be like this morning, I promise. Um, the politician comes to the rescue. When I say politician, I mean the, the, the town clerk. He acted as a politician. He intervenes and calms the crowd. And I kind of, I, I, I'm going to make this twofold. Part of this, when I'm reading this and studying this, I'm like, he is acting just like a politician, quailing the, the crowd. And he's like, hey, um, look, these guys can't do you no harm. Everybody here in Ephesus believes in Diana and worships Diana. They, they can't do you no And since they can't do you no harm, what is it? What's going on? Just calm down. You're almost going to get in trouble because you're starting a riot. So just calm down. And you know what? They calm down. They're like, yeah, well, he's got a point there. We're going to get in trouble because we started this ruckus and we don't really have anything on him. He just told us if there's something unlawful, then we got to take it before the courts. So we don't really have anything. So let's just calm down. So he acted like a politician of sorts. And that kind of made me chuckle a little bit because that's what politicians do. They don't care what you believe. They just want everybody to just be calm. Sometimes they want you to be in an uproar like 2020. So they'll be the ones stirring the pot. But on the other side... I see God at work. On the other side of the coin, I see God saying, you know what, I'm going to use this town clerk to calm this crowd down so that my people aren't harmed, so my disciples aren't harmed, and that they can go about their business without being put on trial, without being killed, without being beaten, and that's what happened. So on one part, you got the town clerk being a politician, doing politician things, and on the other side, you got God who uses everything that's right. He works all things for the good. Correct? I want to I uh, touch on a couple things and we're going to be dismissed, but there are similarities between the uproar in Ephesus and the uproar today. People are stirring the pot today in our country and in the world because they want a one world government. The church is the only thing, the true church is the only thing standing in the way of what they want to do, of their agenda. So there's going, to, there, there's going to be more uproars. This will be quelled, and when it's quelled, they'll start something else in December. And then when that's quelled, they'll start something in March. And it's going to keep going. But don't worry, God's got a plan, and we're part of it. We stand in front of their agenda, so they're going to do whatever they got to do. They Look at California. People can't even go to church in California. 
I read a report today that, that and I don't want to get political here, but I read a report today that uh, Governor Whitmer in Michigan said that if you want to go back to church, then you need to elect Biden for president. I'm going to tell you, <laughs> pray for them people because God can save them too. The Holy Spirit can convict them, and I pray that they do. But I, I'm going to tell you, that stuff right there riles up the flesh, doesn't it? And it stirs me. Pray. They're going to do whatever they can do to discredit the truth in Christ Jesus, just like Demetrius was. Demetrius was worried about money. I'm going to tell you what. These people are worried today. They're worried about money. They're worried about power. Because they control the money already. They're worried about power. And the church is standing in the way. And the church could care less about your money. The church could care less about your power. The church cares about one thing. God cares about one thing. Jesus Christ cares about one thing. And it's your spirit. It's your soul. So that you'll go to heaven. And if you read to study the Bible all the way back to Genesis, Genesis from Genesis 1 until Revelation, you read all that and put it all together, it's a wonderful story, and you see how God thought about you from before the beginning of the foundations of the earth. He had this plan in motion because he knows the end from the beginning. Now let me tell you, this commotion that's going on, just like with Demetrius, this commotion that's going on today is of the devil. Demetrius's commotion, he was led by the devil. He may not even believe in the devil. But because he doesn't believe in God, the devil is using him. And I'm going to tell you, that's what's happening in the world today. People don't believe in Jesus Christ. They're, well, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in any of that. It's fairy tale. It's pixie dust. And guess what? The devil uses them. The devil moves them from point A to point B, just like a pawn on a chessboard. But thank God, God, thank God for Jesus Christ. And thank God for the Holy Spirit. He gives you the power of discernment to know evil from good and to get away from those things. And that's what we need to do. Separate ourselves. Be holy as He is holy. You are sanctified in Christ. You are changed. You're like the people that were preaching and Paul said, Hey, have you received the Holy Ghost? And they, what? I don't know about the Holy Ghost. But when they found out about the Holy Ghost, they received Jesus Christ. And they received the Holy Ghost. And the power that comes with it, and the most unbelievable power that people can't wrap their head around, is eternal life in heaven. And that's what these people were receiving in Ephesus, and the powers that be, on the other hand, wanted to end it. I want to end on one thing. I've preached on this three times in the last month, this one scripture. But just like in Ephesus, where you see uh, the people of Demetrius and the silversmiths, and these people that are making these idols, the idolatry, and we need to get that out of our life. We need to get it out of our homes. We need to get it out of our heads. We need to stay focused, as Isaiah 26, 3 says. You know, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on who? That's right. For he trusteth in he, right? Trusteth in thee. So we need to keep our mind stayed on the Lord and not on all this other stuff, this extracurricular stuff. But when it comes to all these other groups and all these other gatherings, Ephesians 5.11 says, And have no fellowship, this is Paul speaking, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And I'm going to tell you, when you come across the Demetrius in your life, you need to reprove them. You don't have to beat them to death. You don't have to challenge them to a, to a duel. But you need to reprove them. What you're speaking is blasphemy. What you're speaking is, is heretical. And this is the truth. This is, this is the truth in love. This is the Holy Bible. This is God's Word. And Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came in the world and died for your sins. 
and we talk about it until we're blue in the face, but it needs to be talked about until we can't talk anymore. The death, burial, and resurrection is the easiest thing in the world to tell somebody. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's the power unto salvation. And that's what we need to be preaching. That's what Paul was preaching in, in chapter 19. It's what he was doing that caused the uproar. But it's also what he was doing that caused not just the Ephesians to be converted, but people all over Asia to be converted. Because one man opened his mouth, and he told 12. Notice it was 12. 12 is that governmental number. He told 12. Those 12 go out, and they tell people. What if everybody did that? And what a glorious, glorious country we would live in and a world we would live in if everybody would do what Jesus said to do. All right, I'm done talking. The uproar of, Ephes uh, of Ephesus is the uproar that we're facing today, and we need to be doing what Paul does. Go out and preach the gospel to every creature, like Jesus said. I'm going to ask my brother, Travis, Dr. Travis T. Haynes,